Hello, and welcome back to Life and Inside Job, the podcast where we centre our internal lives as sources of comfort, of nourishment and creativity. My name's Kate. I'm the author of Second Spring, the self-care guide to menopause, which is one of the menopause canon, according to the New York Times, and I'm pretty chuffed about that. I keep saying it again and again, and I'm yeah, not going to apologise. And in no particular order, I'm a writer, mentor, speaker, artist and facilitator and podcaster, you could add in there. Because the other thing I love to do is have soulful, meandering conversations with people about how their inner lives nourish them. And in Life and Inside Job, you get to listen in too. We are all knackered, or at least I very rarely come across someone who isn't running on empty. And for someone who often runs on manic cortisol fueled energy myself, and I've burnt out before, probably more than once, I know all the kinds of tired from the inside. Now, yoga nidra is my preferred practice, and goodness knows it's completely saved my ass through perimenopause and times of stress and difficulty. But it's still difficult to prioritise rest for me. And we all know we need to rest, so why is it so hard? Especially when we are in a state of fear. What are we so scared of? And my guest is an expert in this field. Susie Redding is a mother of two, multiple author of multiple books, a chartered psychologist and a coach. And she specialises in self-care, helping people manage their stress, emotions and energetic bank balance. I love that phrase. Her latest book, Rest, uh, Rest to Reset, is available now. And Susie is going to explain how to build a rest habit in your life, no matter how busy you are. Susie, why is it so difficult to rest when we're stressed? Mm. Oh, it's a big question, Kate. And I think that for different individuals, it'll be pinging in a different way, right? Because I think the, the resistance that we face to rest is, is pretty broad, but there are individual variations. So for some people, it might be we want to give ourselves permission to and yet, even when we carve the time and space, our nervous system is saying, uh-uh, I'm not ready to relax here. Or for other people, it'll be like, but I haven't cleared my to-do list or I haven't met the needs of everybody else, so I can't yet. And for others, it might be there's time and space, but I don't know how. I've forgotten how. Yeah, there are so many different reasons. Um, so that's why I'm really passionate about helping people redefine their relationship with rest. Yeah, and I think it's it might be interesting to sort of think about how rest was modelled for us growing up. You know, what kind of familial attitudes were we exposed to, or what kind of messaging did we learn from our studies or from the workplace? Mm. And let's hold these up to the light. Yeah, and from our from our our caregivers. Yep, from our mothers, I think is the most influential um, model, and I hear a lot from my community and clients oh uh, when I asked them that question oh well um my mum just worked and if she saw me sitting around reading a book then I was idle 
and a waste of space. And that voice rings really loud, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to offer up a little mantra there. I'm not doing nothing. I'm resting. <laughs> it's not nothing. It's not idle. Yeah. I, 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 I invite people to think about if there's one one role that we hold dear, let's think about that one role. Let's get let's get really specific. You know, is it is it parent? Is it partner? Is it sibling? Is it you know in the workplace? Just think about that one role and ask yourself: How do you pitch up in that role when you're depleted? How does it affect your decision making, your performance, the words that come out of your mouth, how you feel about being in that role, as opposed to how do you show up when you've been nourished, nurtured, when you've lovingly tended to your energy bank? Yeah, this is what rest facilitates. Is it laziness? Is it idleness? Is it a commitment to self? Yeah, is it resource? It's a brainer, isn't it, really? It can be a little bit of both, let's be honest. And maybe that's helpful to just acknowledge that. Mm. and it's particularly I mean it there's a, there's a kind of irony that operates where it's kind of we can we might be able to or we're more able to get it together to rest uh whatever that looks like and let, let's talk about what that might look like a bit later mm -hmm. when things are kind of okay like if you're tootling along and there's no you know there's no catastrophes happening just at the moment <laughs> <laughs> then you can you can put in a walk a walk in the morning or have a little quiet cup of tea and gaze at the birds on the feeder or whatever but when the shit hits the fan and you're in a state of fear all the self-care goes out of the window at exactly the point when you need it the most <laughs> and that strikes a deep chord hmm. yeah and and that's for precisely that lived experience, that's why I'm sitting here today talking about this. Now, for me, my journey with real restorative practices started when I became a mum at the same time as losing my dad to motor neurone disease. And in that huge collision of life events, I had a healthy commitment to nourishing myself, right? But it's like the things that I would normally do to nourish myself became completely inaccessible and they also were, were completely un, un, unsuitable. They didn't fit my needs in that moment. Could you and say more that, about that? That's really interesting. So there's different kinds of rests that work at different times. Yeah, exactly. Uh, before, before that life experience, you know, going, going out for a walk would have been the thing that brought me back to balance. But the fact is I, I, I had a dependent I needed to be in certain places at certain times. It just, it, it just, I didn't have the capacity to go at those things as I used to. And also, you know, my body mind was literally crying out for soothing, for an absence of problem solving, an absence of decision making, an absence of fighting fires. And yet life just did not allow that. <laughs> it was like, sorry, you're working out how to, how to lovingly tend to a newborn here. You're trying to support your parents through a, a time of complete chaos where my dad survived for 15 months, but there was never a diagnosis for him. 
So it was a, a real time of uncertainty. And the best description I can give of that, of how I felt in that, that period of my life was energetic bankruptcy. I literally felt, felt like I'd stuck my finger in a plug socket and my nervous system was on the fritz. And I just, I felt really hypersensitive to, to sound and, and light. And, you know, the thought of friends would often come over, but if, if they wanted to bring their toddler, toddler I'd be thinking, oh, I, I'd love to see you, but I'm not sure I can handle that. You know, it was just, it was a real challenge to navigate that. Um, and in that space of, of, of fatigue and mind fog, it was so hard to articulate a different toolkit, a different way of, of nurturing myself. And um, I returned to my yoga mat. I'd, I'd had a really a long commitment with yoga. I'd been a teacher for you know, 10, 15 years before becoming a mum. But I tell you what, my yoga practice became rolling out my mat and having a sleep on it. <laughs> it's just what I needed. And I did that for months. So there was something that you had all already had a firm relationship with from the past that then emerged as being a friend again. It just had to take a completely different shape. Mm. I didn't have the strength to do the standing up stuff because life was calling on me to do all of that. That was enough. I didn't need more of that in my restorative practices. I needed, I needed to be held. I needed to surrender. I needed a feeling of softening, but also without a pressure of like, I loved that being on my yoga mat, there was no pressure to drop off. Yeah, if I'd got into bed with the intention of I'm going to have a nap here, if I didn't fall asleep, I'd feel cheated. But if you set yourself up in a restorative yoga pose, there's no pressure to drop off. If you do, you might just need to set yourself an alarm, right? But there was just, there was no ambition to it. It was just, I'm going to flop and drop. And it took, it took time to sort of train myself into doing that again. But um, it's possible. Yeah, we can heal. And this is a bit, bit, bit of a sort of body nerd, body nerd corner. Ding, ding, ding. There's <laughs> the little jingle. There's something about, well, there's the familiarity of that mat, which, you know, you've had experiences there. It's meaningful, that place for you. But there's also something about being met by a firm surface as you surrender into it, which is a totally different thing from being in bed which is essentially much softer much more yes. yielding because yes. you get to feel the quality of your surrender on the floor I reckon. yes yes and that's a beautiful observation Kate I, I would set myself up in a position where my I was lying along a bolster but the top of the bolster was higher so there was a beautiful sense of of heart opening but it wasn't just here I am. Like I wouldn't want to do like a, a, a standing back bend like that. It was because I had the bolster underneath me. I had a pillow underneath my head. I had cushions underneath my knees. I was draped in a blanket. I had an eye pillow across me. So there was, it felt safe to open. And I think that was one of the things I really struggled with at that time. I knew that I think grief is, um, it has such a profound impact on our ability to breathe spaciously and I, I just felt this real constriction in my throat and a tightness in my chest and I'm like 
I know how to breathe, right? What, why can't I breathe bigger and fuller? And if I sat in, in you know, just a seated cross leg and tried to breathe bigger, it just felt like an assault, like there was nowhere for it to go. And yet being in that position where I was just held, where there was no sense of I'm not trying to do anything here, it just, it opened up my body so that I could take a deeper breath. And I think that was that was probably a, a real catalyst in my healing journey, in soothing my nervous system in that way. But But you're right, that fundamental aspect was feeling safe to surrender, feeling feeling really held, something secure. Yeah, it's really interesting. And the another quality is that there's no expectations of anything happening. Yeah. Because no I, I mean, resting can often become or self-care or restorative practices, however you frame it, can often be another task to be completed effectively and with skill. You yeah. Know, thereby another source of striving. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you know what? We can we can turn the most restorative practice into something depleting. What by what we say to ourselves during it? Okay. So yeah, absolutely. I think a true restorative practice is something that's deeply compassionate, that has your best interests at heart. Mm. And you know, we in our professional and personal lives, we we witness this again and again and again that the body has its own intelligence. And the body will let you know, will let us know when it feels safe. So that the, the contrast between the sort of cross-legged sitting pranayama thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the, the softness, no expectations, the time spent, like not having a time limit around it or not, not, you know, not having expectations of releasing in a short amount of time. And it's almost as though the body goes, hmm, is this safe? And it will just soften a little bit. And then it'll check in and then it will soften a bit more. And then it will cut tighten a bit with a, with a thought or a mm -hmm. worry or a concern when everyday life comes back in and then it will go back. And it has, but it has this beautiful wisdom about what is safe and what our task, and I, you know, for, this is audio, so I'm actually holding, clutching my head at the moment. Our task is to get out of our own way, to get, get, to rem try, do whatever we can to get our heads and our thoughts and our busy, clever, brilliant minds out of the equation because this is not helpful. Yes. Yes, I think that's probably one of the biggest lessons in that whole period of my life. It was. How can I get out of my own way? And even more than that, is how can I get on my own side? And how do you do that? With tenderness, with kindness, with coaxing, with encouragement, with curiosity, with a sense of I'm listening, let's try. How am I learning? How am I growing? Yeah, it's that curiosity that and a commitment to that and a commitment to I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do the things that tear me down and I'm just taking a quick break from the podcast to let you know that you can access 
a variety of rest practices and yoga nidra meditations right now from my website if you'd like to. So you can have a rest wherever you are. You can do that from my homepage at katecodrington.co.uk and go to start here or you can follow the link in the show notes. Okay, back to Susie. When I, whenever I talk about rest with people, they think it means lying down. Mm. They have, people have very or, or 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 they have quite people have quite rigid ideas about what that should look like. Yeah. But there are different kinds of rest, aren't there? Yes, and I, I like to think of rest as something that brings us back to balance. So, from that perspective, if I've been pecking at my keyboard for hours on end doing something monotonous. The restorative act might be doing something that piques my curiosity or something creative, or it could be movement. Now, if someone's been on their feet all day, they might need some gentle mobilizations and then some stillness, right? It's So it's a completely individual thing. It, and it's, it's determined by your needs and your pre- preferences, but also how you've used your mind and your body in your day but also I like to think of rest as it's not just something that you do after the fact let's use our rest as a way of resourcing ourselves so that we're 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 preparing ourselves for what's to come in our day day, our week our month ahead this is rest from my perspective is just an essential part of how we compassionately pace ourselves smart energy management Mm, yeah so that the conventional was the conventional idea might be you expend a lot of energy accomplishing some task and if you do that well enough and enough of it then you get then you get to rest that's that's yes. your prize at the end yes you've and earned I, it yes yeah. yes if you're good enough <laughs> oh boy <laughs> but there is no end to the to-do list right it's never gonna end <laughs> The WhatsApps are going to keep pinging. Yes, there will always be another meal to make. There will always be another conversation to have. Right? When do we give ourselves permission? I was greatly um, soothed the other day by some digital person I was listening to saying, it is now impossible to answer all the messages you have. (laughs) It kind of gave me a a sick note. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting observation, Kate. Like if you look at when I was growing up, you'd get mail weekdays, once a day. We had a landline that was in the hall where everyone could overhear our conversation. Maybe some people had a, you know, fancy people had a fax machine, but that was it. Um, We'd watch TV. There were films. We'd get glossy brochures on a weekend with Target and I'd look at the toys in that and it was like, ooh, Look at how much the volume of information and the way in which we communicate has evolved in such a short period of time. Yeah, look at what the cacophony of the sensory stimulation that we have now with all of those, you know, communication channels from social media to email to WhatsApp to we we carry it around on our bloody wrist. And this can't evolve to match the evolution of technology. And this is why rest is just so, 
so needed now because one big reset overnight is insufficient given the sensory overload that we face during the day. And given the sensory overload that we face during the day and all of the compensatory behaviours that we're encouraged to engage in, the, the you know, caffeine to get us going, sugar to keep us going, you know, online shopping for a feel-good hit, booze o'clock, I mean, how much is that glorified, right? And then that scuppers our ability to sleep. So it's just, yeah, yeah. this is why rest is is just, it's a human need. So Do we feel guilty for eating and hydrating ourselves? <laughs> I hope not. I hope we've got to a point where we realise that's just a fundamental human need. Rest is no different. So let's talk about social media. Uh, let's talk about screen use in general then, because in myself and the people around me, in my family, sorry, guys, I'm just calling you out here. <laughs> I see it's so toxic. I mean, in myself, I can speak for myself. That when I when I disconnect, I can lose myself in my phone for some time, and I I I stop breathing. My body goes. I'm I'm dead from like from the eyes down, not even the neck down, from the eyes down, yes. and that can go on for half an hour at a time. Yeah, and it's yeah. really toxic. Yeah, I think there there are a number of issues at hand. Um, posturally, I think that's really interesting what you've just flagged there. Because research show, shows that this, this position, yeah, okay, yeah. so round spine, downcast gaze. It lowers your subjective mood. It lowers your energy level. It's easier to make someone cry when they're in that position, and it's easier to recall negative memories. Hmm. So if you think about the volume of time that we spend in that shape and the effect that it has on our mood, our, our energy levels, but also in terms of our immune system, our digestive system, our circulation. You know, that's why I've written a book about breaking up sedentary periods because it's just, we know that movement has a potent antidepressant effect, but I don't think we understand just the true health consequences of being sedentary, in particular being on screens in that shape. But then it's beyond that. It's like it just, it's like this vortex where we get sucked into it. And, and my issue is... In motherhood, I'm trying to encourage my kids, like, screen time is fun, yes, but we don't want to do screen time at the expense of all of the other things that help us feel healthy and abundant. And it's just so challenging given the, the nature of how these apps are designed to literally just suck us in to, oh, there's this little reward, or if you keep playing for another five minutes, you'll get this thing, or you've got that many likes, or, oh, your reel has done this, oh, God, it's just, it's it's so hard to disentangle ourselves from that. Well, knowing, knowing that it's meant to be addictive, that it's designed to be addictive, it's designed yes. to, to um, work with our neurotransmitters to keep us addictive is quite helpful. And remember also remembering that if it's free, then we're the product. Yeah. That's, that's my, oh, God, I can't remember his name. Maybe I'll find it. Maybe I'll find it for the show notes. That that anything we use for free, Google and social media, we are being sold. Yeah. But you've written the book about this, so tell us how do we break up with our phones? I think we need to get really deliberate. Now, I don't want to demonize phones. Thank God. Thank God. My mum lives in Australia. You know, 
and without that phone, you know, how could I plug in with her and stay current and stay so connected? We just need to become deliberate. Think about how we are using our phones, when, why, its impact on us, and just making sure that we are. And, and it's not just phones. It's the fact, you know, how how many hours do we spend on our computer screens? So it's a few simple rules of thumb, make sure that we're getting up, getting out of our seat every 30 minutes. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that we need to go for a walk around the block, but I am saying you need to get out of your chair so that you're freeing up your hips, encouraging blood flow to your feet. Yes, it could be as simple as taking a few mountain breaths. Yeah, maybe it's going off to the window, seeking out a bird on the wing. Maybe it's looking at the the, the moving canopy of trees in the distance so we're, we're getting a bit of panoramic gaze. Simple, simple strategies to just to break it up. But it comes down to getting intentional and noticing its impact on us and making healthy habits that will become, it's a scaffolding in our day, isn't it? It's thinking about how we use these things and making sure that the use is, is benefiting us. Thank you. And tell, tell us the name of your book so we can go and... So um, that one is Sit to Get Fit. Sit to get fit. That's that's what it's all about. Essentially, it's managing tech stress and and giving people inspiration for this is how we can incorporate more joyful movement into our day. So needed. So needed. Can we talk more about fear and rest, please? Sure. I'd love. I mean, I think we're both um, rest rest super nerds. <laughs> So you can break out the nervous system piece here. I think it would be really helpful for people to understand what happens in their nervous system and what how that makes it hard to rest. Okay. So our nervous system is constantly scanning our environment for threats. Now, this happens beneath the level of our conscious awareness and it chooses for us how we respond. So if our nervous system detects that, there are no threats present, it shifts us into rest and digest mode. And in that state, that's where we can soften, we can empathise with other people, this is where we can plan, this is where we can be methodical, this is where our bodies um, prioritise our immune system, our digestive system, this is where we can sleep well. However, if our nervous system scans our environment and det detects a threat, it will then lead us, lead us into a cascading of hormonal responses whereby initially we're going to reach out and, and look for some help. If help isn't forthcoming, then we'll try and escape. If we can't escape, then we will try and fight. And if our fight is, is, is not sufficient to defeat our threat, then we will freeze or flop or become numb where our body is trying to protect us from pain now all of this whole cascading of responses our nervous system chooses this for us this is not a conscious choice so for people who have faced stressors um, and they come in the shape of it could be an email right this is no longer just limited to a physical threat with threat which is how our nervous system was designed to combat right so for people who think oh my god why did i not speak up why did i not do this or that or the other it wasn't your choice. Our nervous system was making that choice for us and it was trying to do that to keep us safe, okay? So I think from that perspective, understanding if we're in the stress response or the threat response, 
rest is, is impossible, isn't it? We need to shift ourselves into the rest and digest response so that we can soften. So at its heart, we need to feel safe. How do we feel safe? We need to feel safe before we can surrender to rest. And does it make any difference when the threats are kind of invisible, like the pandemic? Like I was thinking particularly about financial anxiety, which is like everywhere now. Yes. And we're, we're recording this uh, in the middle of November and there's the, the Middle Eastern war as well, which is affecting so many people here living in a state in this state of constant fear and anxiety. It has the same impact on our nervous system. This is why it's so hard to rest in the midst of uncertainty, change, financial insecurity. And there's for for many there's a there's a sort of there's an as a real everyday truth that they're not safe right now. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. So how can we shift, how can the body shift its nervous system state? Okay. For anyone who is feeling a real sense of heightened activation of the nervous system, I think quite often we need to do it in partnership with another human being who can be a safe place for us, who can help us understand our responses and can help us build our capacity to bear witness to those things. And it, and it comes down to also building a practical toolkit of ways that we can soothe ourselves. Yeah. Um, and I want to make it really clear. I talk a lot about self-care, but not for a minute am I saying that we should be shouldering our burden alone. We need the love and support of other people. And from the from our nervous system perspective, so much of that is, a, is resonance with another human being where they are providing for us a visceral sense of safety, yeah? Um, there are things that we can do ourselves and a lot of these practices will involve touch, yeah, whether this is, you know, some kind of stroking, self-massage, um, somatic holds, like, uh, we have to say if you hold, uh, you you have, hold you one hand yeah. in the other hand, hold one thumb, or if you place your hands across your heart, well, the one that I really love is tenderly cradling your chin in your hands. That just feels really, it, it, this is how we come home to ourselves. Yeah. Um, breath work can be very soothing. Um, there are lots of different practices. And I would say that they have a real cumulative benefit. Now, for anyone that's feeling really stressed, that you might be thinking, oh, put my hands on my heart. Well, what's that going to do? But actually, if you put your hands on your heart for a minute, once an hour, yeah, if you couple that with a few chicken wing shoulder rolls, put your fingertips on your shoulders. As you breathe in, lift your elbows up. As you breathe out, take your elbows back and down. If you do six of those, yeah, so we're releasing physical tension. We're lubricating the joints. This physical action of the arms actually helps you breathe better. And when you breathe better, you feel better. Yeah, and it also draws you into that lovely tall upright posture, which we know 
taps us into a feeling of zest, optimism, personal power. Yeah, really, essentially, it's coming home to our bodies and culti cultivating a, a felt sense of being safe. So the body can know body up, not mind down. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I think it's very, what do I want to say here? I think that one of the things I notice is that people already do this for themselves. Like people already, you know, for someone saying, oh, where, where is the list of practices for me to do? You know, forget about that. You already have these soothing things. I'm just holding my hands and that, you know, that's notice bringing awareness to what you do to soothe, you're already doing to soothe yourself in, in difficult times is a really massive clue. And then, so I'm, I was just uh, massaging my hands and holding my hands there. And then bringing awareness to it of the power of that. So there's a kind of consciousness of, oh, I'm holding my own hand here and I'm taking the time out to really feel that. So there's, there's the knowing that you have the action already, you're probably already doing it, but also choosing to do it. And the next step is to actually do it a lot. <laughs> yes, bring salience to that practice. Yeah. It is a practice and repeat it when you need it. Absolutely. It's easy to overlook small yeah. practices like that. Like, oh, well, it's just, I'm just, it's, yeah, I know about that one. And there's a kind of, there's a kind of sort of um, like fashions, you know, there's the, ne there's the next fashion, there's the, ne the next groovy breath work or the next groovy kind of, you know, there's the next thing. And as humans, we're always kind of uh, interested in the shiny, the new shiny object, but actually, bringing your attention back to what you're doing and what works. I think that's so insightful and so helpful, Kate. Like if you think about it, if we were to get bad news, you'd do so if you're standing up, you'd there'd probably be a sharp intake of breath, followed by bringing the back of the hand to the forehead. We'd go, <gasps> wouldn't we? Right? This is characteristic of someone getting bad news. Or if you were sat at a table or a desk, You'd fold your hands on that on the desk and you'd bring your head down onto your hands with a long sigh. Oh. Okay. The body is hardwired to heal itself. And as you say, if we can just get out of the way, it will, it will bring itself back to balance. And so when we recognize these things in the moment that brings us, bring us that soothing, it is simple. How can we harness that? How can we do it with greater tenderness? Can we couple it with some tender words? Even something as simple as sweetheart. Of course you feel as you do. Yeah. And then as you say, repeat, repeat, repeat. Mm. Shall we bring perimenopause into the mix? Why not? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> One of the define the one of the um ways we define perimenopause is changes in the menstrual cycle and changes of mood and anxiety is pretty common it is so which is kind of interesting so i've, I've because i'm doing a sort of more like um straight <laughs> straight perimenopause presentations with kind of ages and symptoms and stuff i've been looking at this recently so any it, if if that if that is true that 
many people in perimenopause experience increased anxiety, then any female or anyone with a womb and ovaries around the, between the ages of like 35 and 55, it's going to be, it's going to be having heightened anxiety. I mean, that that's a, a lot, lot of people, right? A lot of people. I mean, that's huge generalization, of course, but This is why we need rest. This is why we need soothing practices, Kate. Absolutely. And it's not just the hormonal, the hormonal dance that's going on. It's everything else. It's the the kids and the parents. I mean, you you've expressed it very clearly. The difficulties with kids and parents as well. And often. And because there hasn't been enough research, we don't know, you can't tell whether it's hormonal or not. Which I quite like secretly, because you just have to deal with what it is. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. Let's start with what can we do to support ourselves through our day? What can we do to support each other? What kind of lifestyle tweaks can we make? Can we shift this, you know, this priority of of relentless pushing and actually start to prioritize a more compassionate pace can we give ourselves permission to do that and adding in motherhood as well i mean you know it used to be quite rare for people to have kids in their in their 40s 15 years ago now it's pretty normal yeah so there are two permeable states happening at the same time with dependence. That's a real pressure cooker, isn't it? An incredible squeeze. And it's a surprise. It's a, because people don't expect, you know, people don't expect the permeability. They don't expect the sensitivity. They don't expect the sheer kind of trans transformational possibilities. <laughs> motherhood and perimenopause all happening at the same time i wish people knew to expect that at least to prepare and i think once you actually identify that that's what's happening there's a sense of oh okay right it's so important that we have these conversations so people feel less alone in it and for that fundamental understanding of there are good reasons why we feel the way we do and there is support available. Yeah, that it's not our fault. Yes. Yes, and that we don't have to treat ourselves like machines with infinite capacity. Yeah. Just one fallible human being. And coming back to that compassion piece. Mm. So what's your favourite kind of rest, Susie? What are you hot for Ooh. at the moment? Like right now? Right now, seasonally, mm -hmm. I'm really enjoying being swaddled and 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 held in, in a yoga pose. I'm going back to that where I felt just postnatally. But I think that's seasonal because I still get out for my morning walk and that for me is a daily non-negotiable 
And I don't do that for rippling abs and toned thighs. I do it for a buoyant mood and an access to a sense of humour and to, you know, stay in healthy relationships. <laughs> that is essential. And that's that's something that is that gives me rhythm and pulse the whole year through. But I've just noticed in the last couple of weeks, um, before I head out for the school run, I, I need to close my eyes for 20 minutes just to sort of dip under. And I'm really enjoying that. And I'm giving myself permission to do it. And what I notice after I've done that, I'm actually, I'm so much more present. Yeah, I've got, I feel like I've just expunged some of that. I'm now an empty vessel ready to, ah, there you are, sweetie. <laughs> Be reunited with my little ones. That sounds delicious. The combination of stillness and swaddling. Mm. So as I said, it's mid-November, so we're just the leaves are just falling now, and I'm really craving craving quiet and stillness. Mm. Just just when the just when everybody everybody's saying, "Yay, let's meet for dinner," and I'm like, "Oh, I'll mm -mm. see you next year." Absolutely, evening plans. Oh, I really, I don't fancy that at the moment. And this is where, you know, let's let's allow how we nourish ourselves to have a seasonal flavour. I still want to plug in and connect with my buddies. But can we go for a walk in the morning? Can we do a brunch date? I really don't fancy anything past 6pm. I just want to be roasty toasty at home. <laughs> I'm going to stand up. <laughs> I'm, I am showing, well, Susie can describe what she's seeing. What are you seeing, Susie? I am seeing you moving your body. Being responsive, standing tall. And I'm wrapped up like a burrito with a great big yes. <laughs> blanket around my kidneys. Yes. <laughs> Actually, that's one of my, my best ones is uh, to have my midsection wrapped, to have my kids, kidneys wrapped. Mm. Beautiful. Oh, we need comfort really in this season, don't we? Yeah. That's what I'm noticing. I'm really craving comfort. And how can we provide ourselves with comfort in life-giving ways? So let's... Let's break this into, into teeny tiny chunks. We've talked about hands on heart. We've talked about um, holding our hands and moving our shoulders and taking breaks from the screen. What about for um, people who are working and have kids and are like up to their noses in activity all the time? What can we offer for them to squeeze into the cracks of their day. Okay. I think all all the tender inner dialogue is essential because we're talking to ourselves all day long. It's not an extra thing to be done, but please, please can we just speak to ourselves with dignity and respect? And for anyone that has a tough time doing that, it is a habit. We, we can learn to do things differently, but here's a really simple hack. Um, instead of referring to yourself as you or I, which tends to garner more punitive in a dialogue. If we call ourselves by a pet name like sweetie, darling, dear heart, chicken, cookie, it naturally creates kinder self-talk. So try that one because it doesn't take any extra time, but it really does transform the quality of your day. I'd also suggest, like you've already said, there are things that we are already doing that sustain us. Can we give those things 
more of our complete attention. So when you're having a shower, instead of ruminating what someone said to you yesterday or your to-do list, can we make that a sensory experience where we're feeling the cleansing property of the water, the warmth, maybe we're imbibing the scent of what we're using and actually carving out that space for it to be. I'm giving myself a break from striving and problem solving here. So it's looking at how we can make every day already happening actions a little more nourishing. It's a yeah. twofer. Yeah. <laughs> My favourite. <laughs> yeah. And then I'd be looking at all these little micro practices that we can just dot through our day. So we've already talked about the chicken wing shoulder rolls. We've talked about cradling the face. The other one I love is if you make two fists, imagine you've got two goatee horns, press the base of your thumbs into your goatee horns. So this is very similar to the, the kind of shape that we would come into if we got bad news. We talked about that earlier. This is how we can really harness that acupressure point. Can you feel that when you do that, it softens your eyes, it releases the tongue in your mouth, it releases the jaw, it slows your rate of breathing down. This is like hitting the reboot button for the nervous system. When I'm doing this, my kids, my husband, no, don't bother mommy. She's having a moment. <laughs> but honestly, 10 seconds of that, and it can just be a little circuit breaker. These things have a cumulative power. It's possible. We can do them. Beautiful. I'm a, I'm a great fan of the two for coming into the sens sensual awareness of water in the shower and uh, feeling the, the warmth of the mug. <laughs> yes. When you have your cup of tea. Yes. Safe from the plug. Yeah. Mm. And it, it just... As you say, it's so yeah. It's a great way of expressing it that a circuit breaker. So it comes out out of our repetitive uh, mind maze of repetitive thoughts and into the se the sensual world. Mm. Brings us home. Brings mm. us home into the world. Yeah, so needed. And how do we build these habits? I mean, we. We make it a priority. We look at our self-talk. There's a whole range of things that you're already doing and the, this beautiful uh, lexicon that, that you're bringing, bringing to listeners today. But how, how, do you, how do we confirm the habit? How does that work? Mm. I think there are lots of different ways of doing that. So I think people could, one approach might be, I'm going to commit to doing a morning ritual the nature of that ritual might be different every day but if you just say to yourself this is something i'm going to do every day you're more likely to do it than if you say i'm going to do this particular practice three times a week because that three times a week it'll always be tomorrow but if you say i'm going to do it daily and i'm literally talking about a one minute practice it could be as simple as the moment your eyes open instead of picking up your phone to scroll or instead of worrying about what's on your to-do list just listen out for some bird song or feel the sensation of the, the, the bedding around you and just bask in that for 30 seconds. That could be your morning ritual. Commit to that. And what you'll notice is you'll get that on automatic pilot. That will be something that you habitually do without thinking. Then it's time for let's integrate a new habit. Maybe further on in the day, if my attention is flagging, I'm going to try this practice. That's where we might do our green gazing or we might do our mountain breaths. 
then we need something at lunch, then we need something in the afternoon, then we need something pre-bedtime. So you could think of, you could structure it that way. But another way of doing it is just having a, a carefully articulated toolkit. And this is why I've written so extensively on self-care with lots of different flavours, because I want people to pick up my book and say, I'll try that one. Well, what I'd love you to do is scroll through my Instagram feed and find a whole bunch of practices that you put on a mind map. And if you want to get really specific, you could create toolkits where if you notice that your motivation is flagging or your concentration or focus is flagging, then there are these practices that you could do. Or if you're wanting to switch off, you're wanting to, to calm and soothe, there are these practices that you could do. But this is where we've got to get deliberate and intentional about this stuff. And I promise you, if I hadn't got all this stuff written down, I'd forget it too. <laughs> I love a list. Yeah. I mean, again, because when when we're in, in an extreme nervous system state and we're very frightened or very stressed or very numb, I can't I can't remember anything. I can barely remember my own name. So I have I have a little list, an emergency list. That's right. Yes. Mm. That's why I created the deck of cards. And I love that people are using them as little primers, they leave them. There's this practice that I would do in the bathroom. I leave, I leave that card in the bathroom. There's that practice. Well, that tell I tell, tell us about your love cards because they are absolutely divine. They are so, such a joy. So there are 50 cards. On one side of the card is a mantra. On the other side of the card is a, a restorative practice that, that brings that mantra to life. And, and so there are different things like there are breathing practices, there are reflective practices, there are movement practices. But this is this is how we remember them. Leave a card next to your computer, you know, that, that will remind you that's the stretch that you do if you're noticing that you're getting a tension headache. Well, this is the practice that you're going to leave, leave that card next to your bed because that's the one that you're going to do before you get in it. We need these little reminders, don't we? Great. And you have written extensively, as you said. Can you can you t talk us through your your bibliography? <laughs> it's a long catalogue and I, I feel very privileged to have had the opportunity to write so extensively on how we can nourish ourselves. So it all started with a self-care revolution, which I hope people will pick up and, and help get a better understanding of, of what it actually means. This is healthcare. This doesn't need to be a product or an expensive treatment it's skills based yeah so self-care revolution and then stand tall like a mountain which is looking at nourishing practices for families for parents and for children little book of self-care is practices on the go um then we've got this book will help make you happy which i was so delighted to have the opportunity to write because it's for kids to read themselves um and then there's self-care for tough times helping people navigate stress loss and change and then more recently, and breathe, journaling prompts, and then sit to get fit, and rest to reset. I think that's, I think that's it. Oh, and the deck of cards. Yeah, <laughs> that is a lot. Wow. And are you are you still inspired to write? Are you, what, have you got one on the burner now? I love writing. I love writing. Yes, I have some ideas, and they are in the melting pot right now. Watch this space. <laughs> Brewing away yeah. in their own little rest and rejuvenation cycle then. Percolating. <laughs> yeah. Percolating away. And where do we find you, Susie? Come and enjoy my little love notes 
on Instagram. That's where I tend to spend a lot of time. I'm just, there's such a beating heart in that community. So that's that's the best place to find me. Come and have a chat. Come and join the comments. My posts are just one thing. There's so much juice in the comments. I love it. And do you, what what is what is your work? Do you work one-to-one or with organisations or what, what's your I do a little bit of both. So my background is organisational psychology and I love that 20 years later I'm able to go in and educate managers on how to have mental health conversations with their colleagues. I'm giving talks on self-compassion. Can you believe it? What beautiful evolution in the workplace. So that's one aspect of my work. And then I have the joy of working one-to-one with people, coaching and counselling, which I just, I, I adore. So I feel very privileged to um, be a calm, safe place for people. It's a wonderful portfolio. Just to close, can you give us your best tip for a happy inner life, please? It's alignment. It's alignment. If we want to feel at peace, we need to be aligned. We need to be congruent with our values. We need to 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 come home to our bodies. And this 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 is all about knowing ourselves and soothing ourselves and taking action in service of our values. Therein lies the peace. Alignment is such a massive thing and you just missed it, but I was just just pressing record and there was this colossal flash and a boom. <laughs> the thunderstorm outside. It's like, yeah, check that alignment. Anyway, that was so much value in there. I'm so grateful to Susie for sharing her expertise. And you can find her um, on Instagram at Susie Redding. And you spell her name S-U-Z-Y Redding, like reading, R-E-A-D-I-N-G. Susie Redding uh, on Instagram, on Facebook. It's Susie Redding Psychology and Yoga uh, on Twitter or X, Susie Redding. And it's susieredding.co.uk. And her book, Rest a Reset, is available now. And in other news... The menopause doula service is open again, which is an absolute delight for me to be holding space for people in trans in this amazing transition that is perimenopause is just such a privilege. Um, And if that's something that would interest you, the one to one support, do book a chat if you fancy working with me. I'm also a facilitator for hire. So if you would like me to come and do a talk at your workspace or hold space for a circle or bring menopause awareness into your business, then do let me know. I'd love to come and talk to you about that. And don't forget, there are two, not one, but two online courses, the Perimenopause Starter Kit, if you want to get started with uh, understanding the seasons and navigating self-care according to your inner seasons and if you want to go deep into the the wisdom of the body and the wisdom of your menstruating years then uh perimenopause unwrapped is the course for you it's just waiting for you to dive in and meanwhile there's the free resource library to play with to bring some sweet reassurance and rest into your life And you can now support this podcast, which, as my partner says, I make up entirely out of my own head because it's just me behind the green curtain. 
And so you can buy me a cuppa through the link in my show notes, and that would be greatly appreciated. And please do share this episode with your knackered friends. And I'll be back in your ears again very soon. Bye.